This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today, back by popular demand, Andre Pavlov, SFU BD School of Business, Professor of Finance. This is past guest, fan favorite. Yes. Uh, Andre's been on VREP Live, the now defunct uh, we, due yeah. to COVID We had a craft YouTube beer with uh, Andre once. That's right. He's, <laughs> he's a fantastic guest. Super excited to have him back on the show because I don't think we've really- to check in. Talk to him about COVID, inflation, what's going on with the government, what that means for real estate. A lot to talk about today, so stay tuned for that. Can't wait, can't wait. But before we get to our conversation with Andre, Matt, we have Corey Wright, commercial real estate broker and uh, I should say managing broker of William Wright Commercial Real Estate Services. Speaking of past guest fan favorite. And he's in the room with us. We're all gloved and masked up and and everyone's had the AstraZeneca, <laughs> except for Corey because he's 29. <laughs> How you doing, Corey? Good, guys. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah. So uh, so we've had... We, 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 I didn't know you were that young, Corey. No, no offense. No, neither did I. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, we, we've brought you in today... Because we made a very special announcement last week. Yes. The Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast The V-Crap. 
<laughs> just, just kidding. I'm just kidding. I just came up. No, it's it's not the VCRAP. It's it's uh, it's, it's VCREP. Um, depends how you uh, VCRAPE. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see where that goes. But welcome, Corey. We're super welcome. excited. And, and you're launching the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Just to yeah. be clear, yeah, May 11th. Super excited about that. Uh, yeah. How how you doing? Can't wait. I thought the big announcement was we were going to talk about Yellowstone yeah. because I went and put $80 in Jeff Bezos' pockets for my subscription because <laughs> I thought this was like a real estate show. And then I realized after the first two episodes, it was something out of the wild, wild west. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So you actually, because we, we did a big retraction last week where... I had it was it was my plug and I'll take full responsibility. That was 100% for it. your uh, I, responsibility. Yeah, I yeah. came out like full force about how great this show was uh, and how it was a real estate show at heart <laughs> based <laughs> on the pilot. <laughs> and then and I got to say it's been downhill since then. I'm still watching cuz I've I've committed. But Corey, you actually went and uh, you went as far as getting an Amazon Prime membership. I got a Prime membership based yeah. on what you said. You guys are like Costco. If somebody says, hey, I bought that from Costco, you just don't second guess it. You just go buy it. <laughs> you guys recommended the show. I'm trying to download the app as fast as I can on my phone to get this show. Yeah. And then after about two episodes in, I was almost questioning my decision. Maybe you guys yeah. were on like a brewery tour when yeah. you were watching this or something like Young that. Young and the Restless I, and Cowboy Hats, I'm yeah. telling you. It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> Young and the Restless. <laughs> It's, you know, while we're on the topic of Costco, I'm just going to say best athletic wear out there. <laughs> oh, hand, hands, down, <laughs> hands down. Hands down. Hands down. Hands down. Um, what, best what? manufacturer for yeah. Costco athletics wear. Exactly. Anywhere. Exactly. Friend of the show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what have we got before we cut to our interview, though? We well, gotta, we well gotta no, talk let's, about let's, talk, let's talk about this commercial real estate podcast because basically what's happened, uh, and this is my understanding of how this has all played out, right? Right. Is... Corey, you've been on our show maybe four or five times. Uh, the feedback is always overwhelmingly positive. I think so many people feel like commercial real estate is is like an area that they just don't know anything about. So every time you come on and demystify, I would yep. say, demystify right. the commercial yep. real estate area, we get tons of feedback, so much so. Basically, the popular demand was there. I think we we decided that I think it's worth a show. Well, I, I agree with you. I think it was that coupled with you guys texting me and emailing me every second hour for yeah. two months trying to convince me to do this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I haven't worked for anyone for a long time, but I could not think of two better bosses to have than you guys. So that's why I jumped at the opportunity. I think I think you're right. So there's always these myths that surround commercial real estate. And you know, the whole premise of the show is going to be, I think, to sort of break down those myths, educate people on what commercial real estate is. We can also talk about trendy things that are happening in and around the marketplace, exciting projects that may be coming up that can affect our city. I think really just breaking it down so the everyday listener can get a much better understanding of what commercial is and sort of how it operates right. and how it's achievable for sort of anyone, whether you want to be an investor or a tenant and how that sort of comes together. And do you see it like if I'm a listener and I don't know anything about commercial real estate, is this somewhere that, is this like 101 or is this 100%. like a master's class? Yeah, no, we're going to start from the very, very start. We're going to sort of educate people on what, what type of asset classes are covered under commercial. Right. How does commercial operate? all that stuff. We'll do our best not to bore anybody in the process. And then we'll slowly work our way up to talk about you know, more trending topics once we sort of give a baseline of information to everybody about how commercial operates. Right. So this is this is everything from what makes a good deal in commercial to how to finance commercial to how the numbers make sense to why Starbucks is closing 300 stores. You got it. And everything in between. So yeah. we're going to, we'll open up all the channels for everyone. So they get a really good understanding of, of all aspects of it. 
as well as, you mean, we'll answer questions and we'll do all that stuff to try to give people as much information as we can. I, you know what? I said this last week, but I'm going to be a number one fan of this show because I know a little bit about commercial. I don't know a ton about commercial, but I feel like you're really, if you're enthusiastic about real estate and you're only looking at residential, you're, you're kind of working with a 50% kind of mindset almost. Yeah, totally agree. And I think when people, people understand really, really quickly, when you kind of break it down a little bit on sort of the metrics and how it all comes together, people will probably be surprised of how, how accessible it is, both from an investing side and people that maybe want to start their own business and get into it. And we'll sort of talk about all the ins and outs of that. We'll have lawyers on the show that can explain sort of how commercial leases operate and what they are. We'll have mortgage brokers on the show that can sort of break down a little bit more how the financing of commercial works and what goes into that. That way, again, we hope, hopefully we open up you know, the opportunity for everybody to have some commercial within the real estate portfolio. I'm getting really excited. This is May 11th launch, Corey Wright, back by popular demand, Vancouver <laughs> Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Yeah, I can't wait for this. What else do we have before we launch uh, our talk with Andre Pavlov this week, Adam? Well, a few things. One, I think the listing incentive is still going strong for at least another six weeks. I'm just looking at my clock. Yeah, we've got six weeks exactly we're for kind this of incentive. Mid, we're mid-June to this incentive. And the is market is still going for sure. It's uh, It's been busy out there. It's been very busy. I know we were just talking about this morning. Lots of multiple offers still happening after the weekend. Um, it's it's really kind of touch and go right now. Well, you know what the interesting thing is, it it really depends on what you're selling, yep. what price point. It's a very it's a it's an interesting moment. I feel like we say this all the time on the show, but it's an it's a this is one of the more interesting moments in the market uh, that I can think of, and it is a moment in which you want to be working with somebody who's tapped in and knows what they're doing. That is for sure. If you do want to get in touch and find out how much your property is worth, get in touch and we can do a market analysis for you. You can reach out at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And Matt, without further ado, maybe let's cut to our interview with today's guest, Professor of Finance Andre Pavlov. Always great talking, Andre. This is a fantastic conversation. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Andre Pavlov, Professor of Finance at SFU BD School of Business. How you doing, Andre? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me over. Yeah, you know what? Thanks again for taking the time, Andre. Of course, past guest, definite fan favorite uh, on the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. So it's great having you back on the show. For those listeners who haven't heard you on the show before, would you mind uh, telling us a little bit about yourself? Yes, certainly. Um, I'm a professor of finance at uh, at the Beatty School of Business um, at Simon Fraser University, and um, most of my work uh, these days is on real estate, uh, both uh, in terms of my research and teaching, and um, also sort of public um, commentary and analysis. And I'm all, I live in Vancouver, and I'm obviously quite concerned that the way our um, real estate market has been uh, going and then has been really uh, made unaffordable. Um, and um, I'd like to change that um, in my little way, if, uh, if possible. So, yeah, maybe uh, just jumping right into that. Last time you were on the show, I believe, was kind of... Uh, still early COVID. I think August was the last time we had John, or it feels like early COVID now. There's been a, a lot has happened since then. What's your take on what's going on in the in the real estate market, and I guess even the Canadian economy more generally? 
Yeah, well, I mean, clearly the, the Vancouver market is, is quite uh, hot. Uh, we hear stories of uh, multiple offers. The sales to listings ratios are high. Uh, and in some markets, they are very high. So typically, I think um, a normal market is something like 30 to 50 percent, you know, sales to, to listings. And, and um, you know, in some markets, we see something like you know, maybe 70%, um, so new sales to new listings over a short period of time. And, you know, that is a sign of a very strong market. And you hear that on the street, right? I mean, you hear that uh, that the transactions are up, uh, people are competing, buyers are competing, and, and, and prices are uh, certainly on the way up. And what in your mind is driving that that type of sales volume and and yeah i mean certain areas specifically i'm thinking in north van like it's a hundred percent in terms of uh sales ratios and it's been month over month like in lynn valley places like that kind of that level of of sales ratios but but what it, what in your mind's driving this kind of moment of fervor yeah well it's um i think it's no secret that it's the low interest rate so that uh, certainly helps a great deal. Um, I mean, they've gone a little bit up in the recent uh, week or two, but still very, very low. So you you can still, I believe, uh, you can still get a mortgage of about 2% or so. And inflation is at about 1.1, maybe. That's the official inflation number last time I looked. So above 1% inflation. So when, when you have interest rate of 2% and inflation is 1 or slightly above 1, Basically, the true cost of that borrowing is only about 1% or less um, so because inflation sort of eats up, um, you know, the value of that, uh, the, the, the money you need to pay back. So, so the true cost is only about 1%. And at that um, level, I mean, it's like it's almost like free to borrow these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we are only talking about the official inflation, if we actually look at real inflation, and then, you know, we know the official number is based on models and, and all kinds of assumptions, and I think we see inflation left and right. So the true inflation is probably higher than the official number. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's very, very cheap to borrow, and uh, people realize that, so they, they take advantage of that. And then the other point is that the Canadian savings rate has gone up tremendously. And that's because, you know, I mean, last year you got refund for your vacation that you pre-booked. You know, you don't need the car now because you don't go to work so much, right? Or maybe you're basically, there's fewer opportunities to spend your money. You can't really go out the way we used to, or for a long time we couldn't. So um, when you don't have that much attractive opportunities to spend your money, you save them. And at the same time, everyone's receiving all kinds of government uh, checks and support. So the savings rate has gone up uh, substantially to, to levels that we have not seen before. And that uh, those savings fuel, you know, give you money for for the down payment. So if you have the down payment and you have uh, very cheap borrowing, so put those two together and, uh, you know, real estate um, appears actually not that expensive in terms of the carrying costs. Now, the prices are still very high. I get that. But in terms of carrying costs, you know, more and more people can actually get in the market, even at those high prices. 
Has the has the post COVID real estate market surprised you, Andre? Well, I mean, last time we spoke, I think I was sounding a bit more optimistic than most people, um, and I was sort of saying, you know, we'll get over the virus one way or another. This is not a structural problem. This is something that kind of happened to us, and you know, I was thinking it's going to be transitory. Now it has taken much longer to get over it than I thought it would. Uh, and I, I feel many people, um, you know, feel that way too. Uh, but regardless, I mean, the vaccines are coming in, however slowly in Canada, but, you know, bit by bit we're getting them. Uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, even though we're way behind relative to other countries, we'll get there and, and we'll get over the virus. And then, um, you know, it's only sort of economic growth from there because of low interest rates, because of high savings. And then I think there will be a rebound in in demand for all kinds of goods and services because people are fed up of being isolated and staying at home. So they will try to catch up and with their friends and and with the activities that they like to do. So there's going to be probably a rebound. So all these things, you know, are going to get us to the roaring 20s. That's, That's kind of the job people are saying, um, or I don't know if it's a job, but a prediction. And the question is, when is that going to happen? And it's taking longer than I thought, but I feel we're almost there. You know, within a month or two or three, maybe we'll be there. So so thinking about that, the start of the, the Roaring Twenties that, yeah, I feel like we've been talking about on the show for a while. If that takes off, what in your mind does that look like? for housing because then the economy kind of more generally takes off or on more certain footing. What does that look like in the next, say, six months to a year to three years? Does that roaring 20s apply to the housing market in your mind or is there an inverse effect or what are your thoughts? It's interesting that it can actually go either way. Now, you would think that uh, economic growth in general is good for the housing market and it is, there's no question about that. But it's not quite as straightforward because two things can happen. One, interest rates can go up. And in fact, Bank of Canada is sort of, you know, backing off of that promise not to touch rates for two years. And then it was three years for a while. And, you know, so now they're talking about possibly raising rates a little earlier than they originally said. So interest rates could go on. That That's one obvious risk for housing. And then the other one is if the economy, uh, and not just in Canada, but around the world really takes off, then there will be other investment opportunities that compete with housing. So right now, one advantage housing has is that you really have very little places to put your money into, right? I mean, the stock market is high, is sky high. Cryptocurrencies are sky high. It's, it's, there aren't very many assets that offer hardly any return, or at least that's what we think. Um, um, but if the economy takes off, there's going to be a whole bunch of new um, investment opportunities, maybe private equity, small businesses, and that, um, you know, can compete with housing. And, and because of that, you know, it, it economic growth could actually, in a way, not be as great for housing as, as we typically expect it to be. Were you surprised by the federal budget and by the um, lack of attention given to the housing market? Well, I thought they're implementing that, you know, vacancy tax or something. It's limited. Uh, you know, it, it almost makes you wonder what's the point of that because it's, you know, sort of limited 
you know, only to non-Canadians, non-residents, non-this, non-that. And that's not going to make any difference on the housing market at all. And it's not really going to raise any revenue to speak of. Uh, so I'm, I'm a bit surprised and curious why they're doing it. I suspect it's them for political reasons so they can, you know, say, uh, you know, they've done something, but really it's it's not that much. And otherwise, other than direct housing measures, it's spending left and right, right? So all the all kinds of programs are, you know, being expanded and new programs are being introduced and and basically spending continues as if we are in the midst of uh, like the deepest recession. Well, at the same time, we have pretty healthy economic growth already and we expect that to only go up. So um, that spending is not done to to support the economy that's on life support. To me, I mean, it really seems to me that was a budget designed to win an election, not to do anything with the economy. And that's, um, obviously, that has all kinds of issues because this money eventually needs to be repaid. But uh, in, in terms of housing, that uh, that kind of budget only increases the risk of inflation even further. Mm-hmm. And as, as we already discussed, uh, Inflation is a positive force behind housing and real estate in general. It's a positive force behind all hard assets, but especially housing. Right. And then, so even though the budget had very little to do with housing, in a way, all this spending, all this deficit spending that was continued and expanded, eventually is um, is going to be a positive for housing because of inflation. What about the uh, stress test? Uh, the increase to the stress test. Do you think that'll have any impact on the market? Well, I mean, we've done that before. It's um, it's reasonable to have stress tests. And, you know, I mean, it, it's really hard to comment on the specifics because, um, you know, it's um, how you do these things. You know, it, it's hard to predict the outcome of these things. So I, I think the way they're being done is just sort of small change and then a little bit bigger change and then and so on and so forth. In general, I like the idea of stress tests because, uh, you know, I think we should have borrowers. We should ensure that most borrowers are able to not get into real trouble if, if the economic conditions change, and especially if interest rates go up. So it's it's not a bad idea. It's all in the details of, of how it's done and does that, you know, sort of preclude some people that, that are totally fine financially and could actually survive uh, interest rate increase. Does that preclude them from buying? Um, obviously, that would be the concern. Um, I don't think that particular recent change is all that important, but it's it's hard to tell. It's it's the kind of thing that we don't know for sure until we actually see the effect. Andre, can we talk a little bit more uh, about inflation? You know, it seems like a lot of what we've talked about so far, it's kind of interwoven through, but we've talked about the official inflation numbers as opposed to real inflation and the spending in this last budget uh, when the economy is not on life support and what that means. Maybe for listeners who are not kind of up to speed, can we talk about what's driving concerns about inflation and what you see the future looking like in terms of inflation in Canada? Yeah, so um, the difference between the official and the actual inflation is that the official inflation is often based on estimates and models. And and the simple example that people give is uh, you look at TVs, right? So before there was a TV for $400, 
and now you go to the store and and uh, the TV is like 20 times better, but now costs a thousand, right? Now, in terms of inflation measurement, this is actually going to appear a surprise decrease for TVs because, you know, for a thousand you get you get a TV that is like ten times better, right? So it has mm-hmm. higher resolution, higher this, higher that. So it's much much better. So when you do any kind of controlling for quality, the new TV is going to appear much cheaper. But, you know, if your eyes are sort of getting blurry anyway, the way mine are, uh, <laughs> and then you can't tell the difference the way I can't, to me, it uh, it looks like the price of TV went up to a thousand. And, and by the way, the old one, the, the $400 one, is no longer available, right? So so that that creates a difference between what we actually spend and how what what the official inflation number appears, uh, and of course I'm using a very simple example here to illustrate the point. But this happens in a in a fairly sophisticated way, but it happens across all kinds of goods and services. And because of that, the inflation number when the inflation number is one percent, I'm thinking well, the actual inflation number, what we actually experience, is probably much uh, higher than that. And then add to that uh, things like um, supply shortages. So I was shopping for a bike recently, and and I could you know about a month ago, and I called every store in Vancouver, looking for a specific bike, and not only they didn't have it, not only it wasn't on order for this year, but they were taking orders for 2022. Okay, so that in my view is inflation, right? Meaning. Yeah, sure, maybe the price isn't going to go up all that much, but I've got to wait two years to get the bank that I want. So um, with, with supply disruptions and uh, really jump in demand for many items, uh, you put those two things together, and even though maybe the sticker price and maybe even the eventual transaction price doesn't change, you know, the, the, what the user experiences is actually at the end, they end up de facto paying more either because they have to wait or because um, they don't get a discount, they don't, don't get credit, uh, store credit, they don't do anything, right? It's, you pay the sticker price and that's it. And even for that, you can have to go and beg them. So you put all this together, then we have inflation. Right now we have, in my view, a pretty high inflation already. And um, you combine that with very low borrowing costs, so it's sort of like inflation, kind of makes the payment on your behalf. Now, I get it, you make your payment, so, so you have to pay that money, but when inflation uh, is is high, the money you need to return, you're going to return later uh, with inflated dollars, and that makes it easier to return the money in the future. And because of that, you know, I mean, you still have to make your payment. I don't want to create any illusion that you don't, but... At the end of the day, when you look over the whole holding period for a house or or even commercial uh, real estate, inflation really, really helps you. Mm-hmm. So just thinking about the clear kind of way to tamper down inflation is is with interest rate increases, right? What in your mind, you know, seeing what we're seeing right now, what do you think the future looks like for interest rate increases and, and how do you think that plays out? Yeah, well, I mean, I think in the last um, couple of statements, Bank of Canada has, uh, you know, made it sound like they might increase rates in the next two years, maybe. And and before, the, the I think the general belief was the rates will not be touched uh, 
you know, for a number of years. So they have shortened the period for which they're signaling to the market that rates are going to stay the way they are. And uh, they don't have to increase rates. They just can make a statement like that. And then what happens is long-term interest rates move immediately. And then, of course, that translates into higher mortgage rates. And we've seen that mortgage rates are slightly higher. I mean, about six months ago, we I've seen mortgage rates at like one and a half percent. I mean, I did not get one of those mortgages, so I don't know how real they were, but but at least that was sort of the, the advertised rate. So now it's more like about two. So that's already some increase, and uh, possibly we could get a little more um, going forward, but still, those are very, very low rates. And I don't see them going much more than maybe another, uh, you know, half a percent or at most, because Canadians are very, very indebted. So as I saw a chart recently where Canada was basically the second country, had the second most debt uh, combined public and private of any country other than Japan. So much more than the U.S., much more than uh, all European countries. Greece, I think, was after Canada. So um, when you have so much debt, it's very difficult to raise interest rates because even small increases will push the economy into recession. So small increases are possible, not right away, but maybe in a year or you know, 18 months. But I doubt we'll see a 1% increase anytime soon. At the beginning of the conversation, Andre, you said that you were very concerned about the housing market in Vancouver. What what to you is most alarming about the current state of the market? Well, it's not it's not the current state. I think the the current state, I mean, this is a relatively healthy market. It's it's going up, sure, and, and you know, that that's normal. We understand why. Uh, you know, it's interest rates and inflation and savings rate. So it's not so much a concern with the current market, but it's a long-standing concern that we are just not building enough. So our uh, housing supply is uh, terribly insufficient. And when obviously the housing supply is insufficient, prices go up. And then on top of that, we have governments, uh, city and and provincial, that uh, instead of making it easier to build more and, and supply more housing, they uh, think they can solve every problem with introducing new taxes. So uh, so they introduce all kinds of taxes like the speculation and vacancy tax, the Vancouver vacancy tax, and all kinds of things like that uh, that are supposed to help, but they don't actually. They make the housing investment worse, but they do not help new people get into the market. And then they can't possibly, because unless you're building more, um, how are you going to find more homes for people? Like, I mean, you can kick the current owners out, but then no one wants to be an owner. So that, that, that's not going to work. Um, so, so we have two problems. Uh, one is really a lot of roadblocks to new development. And, and, you know, I don't need to tell you that. I think anyone who, who has even remotely looked at, um, at increasing supply knows, um, that it's insanely difficult to do so, um, in, in Vancouver. And then, at the same time, we have a government that has demonstrated willingness to intervene in the market, but intervene in the wrong way, uh, rather than help uh, increase supply and remove obstacles to new supply. The government tries to manage demand, 
and that uh, obviously can work temporarily, but in the long run, it cannot possibly um, put more people into homes. Um, it can redistribute, but it cannot put more people into homes. The only way to do that is to build more. And, and in the just thinking about this current moment we're in, and I guess government regulation aside, but with borrowing costs being where they are, prices increasing, it does seem like it's a potentially a, a really great environment to be building if you're a developer. Am I right? Well, it, in theory, yes, but uh, but you're still facing delays at City Hall and, and completely unreasonable intervention in your project. Right. Uh, like you're going to have to be asked to protect all kinds of little bushes that are around your <laughs> property and, and, you know, put fences and, and, you know, I mean, just to put insulation. So there's no reason Vancouver should have, houses in Vancouver should have more insulation than, than houses in anywhere else in Canada, right? We have milder climate. So it, it drives me insane that we we have all these additional requirements because our politicians want to appear good and, and, and want to, you know, appear they're doing something um, uh, while at the same time, the actual measures are not only just ineffective, they, uh, they hurt the market because it's so much harder to build. And then when you do build, uh, you're taking on huge risks both delays and you really don't know what uh, City Hall and, and, you know, who else is going to come and tell you to do or not to do. Uh, so the return you need to get on that project is is huge. It's, you know, building in Vancouver is comparable to, you know, the, taking like the riskiest project in a third world country. Um, and uh, so, so when the, the rate of return needs to be so high, to compensate for the risk you're taking, you're not going to get much uh, new development. And we're not. We're like a fraction of what we need to be doing. Mm-hmm. And, and presumably with with build costs going up uh, with materials, that's that's not going to help as, as well. Yeah, so I've been hearing those stories where, um, you know, um, lumber shops can will give you a quote that's good only for a day. So it kind of sounds like the stock market a little bit, right? It's it's wood. Now, there's a bigger problem there. Uh, we, we clearly have wood, right? In, in BC, there's no shortage of wood, and that's uh, a renewable resource. So the only reason we have shortages is, you know, again, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but again, it's, uh, it's a government intervention into that market as well. And then the other problem, of course, is we cut the wood here, but we don't actually process it here. We, you know, it's, we send it somewhere else to get, uh, to build whatever needs to be built. Uh, and then we ship the ready goods uh, back here. Again, because we've made it just about impossible to do anything here. I mean, BC, through regulation and red tape and high taxes and that kind of stuff. So um, when you put all this together, not only it's difficult for us to access a renewable resource that we have really in abundance, but then even if we do access the wood, we don't process it here. It's got to be shipped and processed somewhere else and that to be shipped back. And of course, when, uh, you know, due to the pandemic, the supply chains around the world are disrupted, that's going to cause delays. And uh, those delays are seen um, in, in construction materials. 
I think I know the answer to this, Andre, and I think we've asked you this before, but maybe specifically in this moment, we've talked about, you know, the economy doing relatively well, all things considered, but what are the biggest risks in your mind to the economy in the next, you know, three, six, nine months, and then in the next couple of years? Yeah, it's um, obviously interest rates going up would be one, because partly that's what is stimulating the economy. And then all those government programs that uh, that are giving um, really free money to people and businesses, uh, they're going to have to stop or, or will go completely bankrupt. Uh, we're pretty close to that now already. So when that disappears, um, you know, how are people going to react? Uh, so so the, the combination of those two things... Uh, so interest rates and then discontinuing all those support programs that that are currently in place. We don't know how this is gonna really play out in terms of um, general economic growth. And then the worst thing that we can do is, um, even though I'm very concerned about the deficits, the worst thing we can do is actually increase taxes uh, or make it even harder to to do business in in BC and in Canada. Because uh, if we do then, that, uh, that's a sure way to to kill the economy. Uh, and not only this will make it much harder to actually balance the budget and eventually return the money, but, you know, that's, uh, that's in fact, it's going to require even more um, intervention and more support. Uh, so if we mess up um, regulation on the policy side, especially when it comes to taxes, uh, that could really uh, carry the problem for the economy. Andre, what do you think, you know, and this is a this is just a uh, something I've been thinking about and obviously impossible to answer, but when we look back 5, 10 years from now, what do you think the lasting economic impact, uh, the most significant economic impact of of this COVID year or two will be? If you look at a decade from now, I don't think there's going to be much uh, much consequence. Uh, it's um you know, I think the economy, because it's an external shock uh, that hopefully is going to go away and or hopefully is going away now, I think we're going to see very little uh, remaining impact. This is not like 2008, where in 2008 the problems were sort of systemic, meaning the system of, you know, especially in the U.S., lending, you know, mortgage training and all that, the system generated the problem. So then we... You don't only have to get out of the problem, we have to also change the system in a way that the problem is less likely to happen in the future. So this was a much, much harder task. And that's why it took such a long time to recover from the 2008 crisis. COVID is not like that. It is something external. So there's no uh, particular need to, to change you know, the lending system, for example, that much. Uh, what does concern me is that uh, COVID has given excuse to governments around the world, not just in Canada, but including Canada, to intervene in all kinds of um, aspects of the economy that they really shouldn't. Uh, and uh, if that uh, intervention is scaled back relatively quickly, then it's all good. But if uh, the support for businesses and for people continues, that really is going to create a problem for the economy because that support is expensive and it also creates distortions that um, 
that are going to be very difficult to overcome. So that's to me is the biggest risk. Uh, if if governments take use COVID as an excuse to expand, that would be something that will feel easily a decade from now. Uh, if governments don't do that and instead actually use the current rebound to scale back and to kind of stay in, in their lane, then uh, we'll get over this really quite quickly. Yeah, that I think is a big question, right? As far as I can tell, it seems like staying in their lane is not what the, what the plan, no, at least in no, North America, is. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's uh, and that that's what can stay with us for for a long time. Because then that means we will have to wait until we get a change in government, uh, and then that can take a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, just thinking about listeners who are uh, presumably interested in real estate in Vancouver and and real estate more generally, but also, you know, the economy, investing more generally, what in your mind, or where I should say, is is the safest or best place that Canadians can put their money in terms of investing uh, right now? Oh, that's really tough because, uh, as I already mentioned, uh, stocks offer very little yield. They, they're obviously very expensive even though many companies are doing very, very well. But you do pay a lot for current earnings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's done because people expect earnings to go up, but if they don't, you know, it is, the currently stocks are very expensive. And obviously, same for real estate. I mean, I, I think because of uh, low interest rates and, and high inflation, real estate has some room to go. Um, I'm, I'm not predicting a crash or anything like that, or even a slowdown, um, especially in Vancouver. But still, um, you're entering now is, you know, you're entering at a pretty high level. It's it's difficult to enter when when the market is going up, you know, quite rapidly. So um, then what are the alternatives? Well, it's, it's tough because, uh, you know, this kind of scenario is playing out in many other countries as well. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. Uh, maybe don't uh, say it. Maybe just go and, and once we're over the, the pandemic, uh, go and enjoy yourself because, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just very, very difficult to figure out where you can invest. Um, now, I, I think we have a fundamental problem that the piece, basically the return to capital is basically zero unless you take risk. And in fact, when you take inflation into account, the return to capital is negative unless you take risk. I mean, you, you don't even keep up with inflation. Uh, and that, that creates a fundamental problem that it really discourages people from saving. Now, I realize the Canadian savings rate has gone up a lot, but that's only because there's not very many opportunities to spend your money and all the government assistance. Once those two things reverse, then we're not going to have a high savings rate. We're going to... Um, return to spending again. And that's sort of, I mean, I criticize that. I kind of try to tell my students and my friends not to do that, but I totally understand it because when the return to savings is so, so, so low and in fact negative, unless you take risk, and it's sort of the incentive to save is is uh, very, very little. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough to invest if you've got to fund your retirement on your own. That's a very tough environment because of inflation and because all assets are um, already really 
pretty expensive, so it's hard to find opportunities. Uh, if I have to choose something, it would have to be like private equity, um, startups, um, you know, uh, have to be a bit creative, but uh, just doing the old, um, you know, diversified portfolio across all assets and across all countries, uh, you know, I mean, that's obviously still the best solution for many people, but it's not a very good solution. Well, I think on that note, we'll wait till the wait till everything opens up and then <laughs> go on a spending spree by the sounds of things. It sounds like the best. <laughs> I was looking for a golden ticket there, Andre. It doesn't sound like you have one. Golden ticket. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. No, not, not for me, right? I, I teach for a living. What do I know? <laughs> I think actually uh, it was probably about a, a year and a half or maybe even two years ago. I think your answer was uh, buy as much land as you can as far west as you can in the city That's of right. Vancouver. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> so I was, and you would have done all right had you listened to Andre yeah, exactly. Back, uh, back so, that was good advice. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I meant back then, and I still mean that, if you if you are getting into real estate. Make sure, especially as a person rather than a, a, an investment firm, make sure, in my view, that it is, yes, as much land, uh, and then don't worry about the structure, because it's in the long run, it is land that appreciates, the structure depreciates. Right. Uh, so I realize buying a single home in Vancouver is hard. Buying a single home on a large piece of land is hard. Um, I get all of that, but uh, whatever it is, uh, you know, um, I think it's it's much better investment to put your money into land rather than um, fancy countertops. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll leave it there, but uh, how can people find out more about what you're up to and, and uh, what you're working on, Andre? Oh, well, I'm, in, I'm on Twitter a little bit. I tweet about once a week. Uh, you know, uh, if you just look Andre Pavlov, and of course, you know, I mean, they can find my resume on the BD School of Business uh, website, uh, where I also put all my publications and, and you know, public, you know, op-eds and that kind of stuff. So, uh, so those will be the two, the two main sources. Okay, well, sounds good. Thanks so much again for your time, Andre, and uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show, so thanks for uh, continuously coming back. Of course, thanks for having me. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Andre Pavlov, Professor of Finance at the Simon Fraser Speedy School of Business. Yeah, not the Speedy School of Business, I, but that's uh, is that's where you get your brakes and mufflers. It's the Beedy School of Business, man. But uh, yeah, we, we are so happy that we had uh, Andre back on the program. Fan favorite and definitely uh, one of our most, every time we have him on the program, somebody reaches out and just says that was like their all-time favorite show. You know what? I it's it, He tells it like it is, super bright guy, really dialed in. Uh, right. It's it, unique perspective for sure with Andre, and it's always great having him on the show. You know who also is a great guy that we've had on numerous times with tons of positive feedback? 
Corey Wright, who's in the room with us right now to talk about the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast launching May 11th. Can't wait. Always excited to be here with you guys. Yeah. And, you know, we're, I'm always excited to have you on the program, but I always re-question uh, what I'm wearing. Because, Corey, you are the best I specifically guy in real estate. chose what I'm wearing today based on the fact that Corey was coming in, and yeah. I think I failed. Well, I, yeah. us- I usually go buy a suit the Friday before I see you guys. <laughs> I get it all tailored and pressed, so you guys think I dress like this every day. Really, you're just walking around in raining champ gear all most of the time. When you, although that's some nice, uh, that's some it's nice great. But you know where else you can find some really good athletic gear? Where is that? Costco. Yeah, if we haven't plugged the <laughs> athletic gear at Costco, that's uh, that's definitely the best out there. It's it's a uh, it's a lot better than Yellowstone. I'll tell you. That. Well, I don't think I'm setting the bar too high, guys. Come on. <laughs> Um, so the Vancouver commercial real estate podcast, yeah. uh, just thinking about this one more time, Corey, because this is a really exciting opportunity. I think so many of our listeners still see commercial as kind of a black box of real estate, but you're going to break it down from what's a good investment, how to get it financed to things like topics of the day, like Starbucks closing 300 stores, right? right. Yeah, 100%. So- our, our goal is to sort of unpack all of that stuff and sort of explain what happens, why it happens. I mean, where are trends going? Where should people be looking to invest in the future? And like in, in you know, landlord-tenant relationships, a lot of people think Starbucks is the tenant you want, but sometimes bigger isn't always better. Right. We'll unpack all that stuff. That's exciting. I, I'm actually, uh, we've, we've talked about it here on the show, but you know, if you are interested in residential real estate, there's no reason that you shouldn't be studying commercial real estate as well, just because there's so much interplay between the two markets. They yep. speak to each other. That is definitely the case. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to this show so much. It's going to be incredible. And just a reminder, we the first episode launches on May 11th. I can't wait for that. So this is going to be an episode uh, starting going out that's going to be, I think you're starting kind of early understandings of commercial Yeah, we're going to we're going to start and sort of explain, you know, what asset classes in real estate are covered under commercial. We'll right. talk a little bit about what each one is and how they function, and then we'll also maybe go a little bit into how COVID-19 has sort of affected commercial real estate over the past year. What do we see moving forward and why? And that way it sort of gives a little people a little bit of understanding of what's uh, what's to come. Commercial Real Estate 101 with Corey Wright. I can think of nothing better yeah. than this. Yellowstone. Super <laughs> oh, yeah. Yellowstone is better. Yeah. There's no question. Um, but, Matt, what else do we have for the, before we break for the what day? What else do we have? VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate live. Things like the Live Wire. This is our weekly mailer. Last week, we added a couple of really exciting pre-sales on there. Right. Lo- tons of interest. Assembly in Strathcona. Yeah. This is... Uh, Fantastic product. Oh my God. Uh, Next yeah. level finishing. The, it, and, and the like, rooftop decks are the size of like, they're like a thousand square foot rooftop decks. They're beautiful. The, the Half the display center is the rooftop deck. Uh, and, and, and but but here's the other thing. It's overwhelming. Think of the last thing that was built new in Strathcona. No, I like, know it's impossible to build yeah, in Strathcona. It was my fence. <laughs> to be honest, uh, twelve feet high. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's anyways. We're we're super excited about it. I, I love Strathcona. I'm a huge fan, and uh, everybody in the community seems to be pretty excited about it as well. That's right. So assembly in Strathcona, nest in Victoria. Last week, Byron Chard was on the show. Yeah. Anyway, there's no reason you don't want to be on the live. And one more I want to mention as well is Aqua uh, in Kelowna, because we've had a lot of people reach out after the John Friesen 
episode. And uh, man, is that an exciting project. We're anticipating sales to be around late June, early July. Um, super exciting. So if you are interested in Aqua and Kelowna, do get in touch. And Matt, what else do we have on the site? What else do we have? Well, if you're not interested in pre-sale, but you just want to monitor a market, really the best way, and I don't even know, private client services, I feel like is a dated way of saying this, yeah. uh, but we do have private client services. And Matt, if you are not using PCS, you're standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's available on our site. And really, there's no better way to look for real estate in Vancouver. I should also say they've just given it a massive facelift. And a lot of people reaching out, it's converted. It's called exposure. Yeah. It's still PCS though. Oh, I looked into it. Okay. So we can still- I was really concerned about (laughs) about trademarks and litigation. Um, I looked into it. It's still exposure, but, and still PCS. It's PCS exposure. (laughs) Is what it is. Um, anyways, it's fantastic. They've they've changed it up, and lots of people saying it's even better. Yeah, absolutely. So get in touch, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, or you can give me a call at any time seven seven eight eight four seven two eight five four, or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, or you can try me at seven seven eight eight six six four five seven four, or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We, we also, also have that William Wright line. <laughs> Corey, how the heck can people get in touch? Or do you even give out your number? Well, the thing too, I got to ask you guys for an email address because since I'm going to be working for you guys, I don't think I had that privilege yet. <laughs> so if they just email you and ask for me, hopefully you can just forward it on. Hey, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Reach up. <laughs> Info at com. Lots of exciting things coming up, as you can tell. Stay tuned and thanks for listening and have a good week. Take care, guys. 2,000 Faces for Radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate 
or volunteer and they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers, that's hallwayhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 